Hello and welcome to the Minimalist Moms Podcast. It's hard enough being a mom and the last thing you need is stress from too much stuff and an overcrowded schedule. For too long, I lived with the mindset that bigger was better and the more I added to my life instead of feeling better, I felt overwhelmed. It was time for a radical new mindset. Less is more. I'm not into extremes. I didn't throw everything away. My brand of minimalism is more about adding than subtracting. Get rid of the excess to make room for what you love. In other words, it's about living life with purpose. I hope you'll listen in as my guest and myself can inspire you to think more and do with less. In this episode, we explore the concept of positive discipline and how it can shape our parenting style. Join me and my guest, Jean-Marie Paynell, as she takes me through this new, to me, approach and we dialogue about how to break free from old patterns, encourage our children, and learn to be kind to ourselves throughout the process. As for the minimalist moment of the week, I wanted to take this time to share a question that I received on Instagram. This person says, help, I'm so overwhelmed by our home and stuff, but mainly kids' clothes and toys. My older girls hold on to everything. How do I get rid of toys or help them do so? I feel like I'm drowning. My first response, and I am sure that I sound like a broken record to some of you on here, but my first response is that visual boundaries are extremely helpful when it comes to decluttering and keeping the overwhelm at bay. What do I mean by visual boundaries? I mean that in my kids' rooms, there are only so many spaces they can fill with things before it's time to start assessing what they have and time to declutter. With my older kids, I like to include them in this decision because it is their room and it is their space and these are their things. However, for the little ones, you can kind of assess what they're playing with and maybe pull it out for a little bit. That actually leads me into the second part of this. With your older children that do tend to hold on to their things, go through it with them. Even if your kids are overly attached to some items, they can tell you what they are playing with as you're going through this decluttering process. And things that they don't play with as regularly anymore, take a bin, Put those things in the bin, keep it in the basement, keep it in the attic, keep it where it's out of sight, out of mind, and then see if your kids ask for it in the next month or so. You can put the time limit on it. I also just like to talk about how we make space for the things that we love, and if we have too much that we're holding on to, we have no space for new things that we love even more to come in. And my last quick tip is to remind them that when they have too many toys, they also have a lot of messes to clean up. The fewer toys, the fewer messes, and my kids are always on board with fewer messes that they have to help clean up. Don't forget that as you're helping your kids declutter, these toys are their treasures, and it can be stressful for all involved. So again, talk them through the process, walk them through the process, put things in a toy limbo, so to speak, for a pre-agreed upon time limit. And it's important to reiterate that we are getting rid of things to make space for new things that will inevitably come in sooner than later. If you have questions you need answered, feel free to shoot me a message at Minimalist Moms Podcast on Instagram. And I'd love to share your question on the podcast to help others that may be struggling with the same thing. All right, I think that's it for now. Let's get into this episode with Jean Marie. Well, Jean Marie, we just got done recording an episode for your podcast. And so now you're over here joining me on mine. So welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. 
Me too. So you are an expert in Montessori, but you also talk about positive discipline, which is something that I need in my life. But before we get there, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? What is it that you do? And then we'll move from there. Perfect. So I am Jeanne-Marie Penel, and I am a parenting mentor. I work with families one-on-one and also in group settings. I consult with schools. Basically, I took a 360 turn when I was about 43 and was working in advertising in corporate America and decided that just was not doing it for me and actually went back to school and got my master's in Montessori education and then worked in the classroom for many years. And from there was just blown away with Montessori and the genius behind her process and the principles and all this. But more importantly, it was that the parents of the children who I cared for were just flabbergasted at how different their children were in the Montessori setting as they were at home. That's when I really transitioned to working with parents directly to really give them this information that I think all new parents should have about just how we can parent with a lot more ease and joy and simplicity and that it doesn't have to be this grueling, hard thing that I think the media puts out, just like birth. Like birth can be so gorgeous and beautiful. And you know, the media has it, we're all screaming like we're crazy people. And I'm also recently a birth doula, which I'm really, really enjoying because there again, I'm coming in at a very sensitive period for parents where I'm helping them understand that they have choices in how they birth and then choices in how they parent. So I'm loving it. Yes. Wow. That's really cool. I always tell people that time is going to pass anyway. So why don't you do what you love? Exactly. And it's interesting because as a child, I always wanted to work with children, but I was like, oh no, that's not good enough or that's not ambitious enough, whatever it was. And then when I got to make my own choices, I was like, that's what I want to be doing. (laughs) Okay. So on your podcast, we talked about minimalism and the art of parenting. And I am curious to know if you consider yourself to be a minimalist. Definitely. I am a minimalist at heart. And I think I was thinking about that because I listened to your podcast of how you asked that. For one, I was raised by a very nomadic mother. So we moved quite a bit. So I think possessions became pretty much irrelevant because we were moving like from one continent to another. So I never accumulated things. And then I remember in college, girlfriends were like, your room looks like so spark. And it's for my mental health. Like if things are messy, I'm not a happy camper. So I'm definitely a minimalist, not only in my possessions, but also in what I say yes to in experiences. And we talked about this on the podcast about birthday parties with the children. It's like, no, I'm sorry, I only have two days in a weekend. Definitely, I would say I'm a minimalist. Yeah, I felt like in talking to you on your show that you try to live with intention. And that's very interesting that your mom was nomadic. So you grew up in France. Where else did you live before you came to the States? So I was actually born in Tunisia, in North Africa, and lived in Algeria until I was about four, and then France, and then moved to the States, and then back and forth a lot. I have actually been in the States now for 25 years, which just seems crazy to me, because before being an adult, I don't think I lived in a home more than two years. So, And what's fascinating today is I have two grown children, so they're 26 and 22, and right now they are both completely no 
nomadic where they have no residence and they are traveling. So there's something healthy about that detachment to things. I will say I also do believe that we should put down roots somewhere, but that could just be you. Like you're there and they come home and you're like a home base and they have roots where you are. So definitely. And I think we have roots. Like my father has a family home in France. And for me, that's home. I go there every summer. I've been going there since I was an infant. That's the route for me. So yeah, in a different lifetime, I would also be nomadic just wandering around and hiking. So we're here today to talk about positive discipline. Can you maybe define that before I pick your brain? Sure. So positive discipline is rooted in Alderian psychology, which Alfred Adler was a psychiatrist who really understood that behavior is a form of communication, right? A child, for example, there's a quote that says a misbehaving child is a discouraged child. They're just trying to communicate. And what they are trying to communicate is that we all need significance and belonging. And when somebody is kind of misbehaving or not feeling well, it's often because they are lacking that significance and belonging. So you can call it love and responsibility, whatever that is. But that's what it's rooted in is just that if we can understand that, and if we can read the room and understand where the behavior is coming from, we can help them, we can help them regulate, right? Instead of trying to tell them what to do all the time. Yeah, I agree with you. I think bad behavior, quote unquote, is usually a call for help, like I'm dysregulated, I need help putting words to what I'm feeling. I know that some people will say, no, my child is intentionally trying to get my goat and come after me, which the only explanation I could have for that is oppositional defiance disorder, which I don't know how many kids that affect. But I also just think that we are programmed to believe that's true. I would say that evolutionarily as humans, we don't ever want to be on the outside. We want to be a part of the tribe. So I can't imagine that our kids want to be outside of the little tribe that we're creating you know, so I don't really believe that because that just seems to be counter to what is in our DNA. Totally. And I would agree with you. I would go so far as to say that there's not an ounce of meanness or defiance in our young children. They're just trying to make sense of the world that they have been born into. They're just trying to adapt to their time, place and culture, right? We're here to guide them. So when a parent gets flustered because a three-year-old is saying no, because, oh my gosh, they have just realized that they can actually say no. Like, wow, I'm a full-fledged person. I'm going to try this out. They're just experimenting. They're just trying things out. So we need to understand that this is a developmental stage in their life. So it always comes back to this significance and belonging. Like you say, belonging to the tribe. For me, a child who's misbehaving at home I'm going to suggest, like, how can you involve them in doing what you're doing? Give them responsibility, give them a task. And that is just going to just calm them and give them that significance that they're needing. Absolutely. My friend gave me a great example. This is something that's hard to do in the moment too, because you have to think quickly. But she was dealing with her two boys. They were misbehaving in the grocery store. And so she took home her youngest and said, okay, we're going to go back to the grocery store. She's going to stay with dad. She's going to get some time to rest. We're going to go back to the grocery store and we're going to retry. On the way to the grocery store, they started misbehaving again. 
again. So she turned around, went back home, and she said, we're going to try this again. She said she did it twice, and she said, you can be silly. I love that you both are silly with one another. I love that you both love each other enough that you have this relationship, but you just need to rein it in a bit. We will keep going home and restarting this process until you can behave. We're going to go get the groceries, and we'll go back home. And that was their punishment, quote unquote, for being naughty at first at the grocery store, running around, knocking things over. And I was like, wow, that is amazing. But it's hard to think on your feet like that. And again, it is easier to yell. But in the long run, that's actually harder because you're going to have to consistently maybe battle some of these things that... I feel like for her, that is going to be a foundational moment for them remembering, hey, mom was serious and she followed through and she didn't yell. She was stern and it was discipline. It's great. And it's funny because it's actually one of the exercise that we do in positive discipline is this idea of really following through with what you say you will do. And Jane Nelson, who is the author of all the positive discipline books, she talks very much like your friend, this example of telling her children before getting in the car, I've noticed that when we get in the car, you two start fighting and bickering. And really, it makes me feel really uncomfortable because I can't focus and I'm driving. If that happens, happens, I'm just going to pull over on the side of the road and let you finish. And when you're ready, just let me know but you have to carry through. So that's exactly what she did. She prepared herself. She got herself a book and she pulled over, started reading her book. The children were like, what is she doing? But the thing is, is you don't remind them. You're not looking back in the backseat going, oh, I told you not to. You just follow through. You stay calm. You stay cool. You pull over. You do what you need to do. Maybe get out of the car, take a deep breath. And you will see that the children will, instead of, like you say, screaming at them, doesn't get anything really done. It scares them maybe momentarily, but what does it do long term? And then it makes us feel horrible because then we feel guilty that we raised our voice and we screamed at our children and so forth. So it takes work. We weren't necessarily parented that way. So it's new to us, but it's well worth the work for our children's confidence for so many reasons. Yes, absolutely. And I think that can connection between the two things. That's why I told my friend, I was like, oh, that was great because fortunately she had her husband home to watch the littlest one, but she was able to say, I'm going to connect this bad behavior at the grocery store to something that has to do with the grocery store. And I think that oftentimes we'll say no TV for a week or no dessert because you did this that had nothing to really do with the moment. And then our kids don't probably have those pathways connected to where they can see the correlation. So then it ends up just being not really worth our time. And that's what my husband and I are trying to work on that together. Like, okay, we're going to give up some kind of big consequence. Let's not do that because we haven't talked to one another. Like if you're saying I'm taking away video games for the rest of the week, it's like he's not going to be here during all those moments. Why don't you just address what's happening right now? You bring up a really good point because I think we tend to want to give consequences. And most often they're totally arbitrary. You know, if you don't finish your broccoli, we're not going to the park tomorrow. It's like, what has that got to do with it? Like you don't finish your broccoli, you're going to go to bed hungry. Like that's the consequence, right? To me, it's like letting nature do its thing. Just the other day, I had a mom call me about her 11 year old daughter who was being quite rude with a girlfriend of hers and was not being kind. And her friend said, I don't want to be friends with you anymore. And the mother was devastated and all this. And she said, well, what consequence should I have? And I said, well, that is the consequence. Like she's losing a friend. That's a huge consequence right there. You don't need to make up another one like that is enough for her behavior. So for me, it's really important, first of all, 
and it's kind of what we were talking on my podcast, is to involve our children in finding what the solutions are as well. And you have children that are old enough to comprehend and rationalize some of these. But you can say, when I ask you to come to dinner and stop watching your video or whatever, if you don't do that, what do you think the consequence should be? And oftentimes, children are pretty hard on themselves. So be careful. (laughs) Sometimes you're like, oh, okay, I didn't think I would be that harsh. But it's relatable, basically. Consequences need to be relatable, need to make sense to the situation at hand. Absolutely. So you have a free guide. Yes, it's a little ebook with 21 positive discipline tools. There are many, many positive discipline tools, but I just chose 21 to be a good basis to just start thinking about the way that we are interacting with our children and the importance of really connection before any type of correction that we have to take a pause, just like your friend was stayed very, you know, cool headed, we can take a pause, we do not need to react in the moment, like take a deep breath, look away and just connect back to your child because a child who is misbehaving a child who is having a meltdown or a tantrum or so forth is a child whose brain is actually disconnected. They're no longer making sense. So there is no need and really no value in trying to correct the situation when the child is upset. So you really have to connect with them first, let them know they're still loved and everything's going to be okay, and then talk about the situation at hand. What are a few of the others that you would encourage people with in regard to positive discipline. This whole idea of putting children in time out, I'm completely against, where it's more about creating some positive time in places in your home or even in the car. Like maybe it might be a stuffy or something that they take with them, where we need to help our children understand what their body is telling them when they are feeling big emotions, right? When we're upset, when we're angry, and all this, our body is giving us signals. We either have a pit in our stomach or we have sweaty hands and so forth. If we can help our children understand those cues, then they can start either taking some deep breaths or going and hugging that lovey or going in their special little zone out place as opposed to using timeout as a punishment where to me like timeout is you've done something wrong, you've made a mistake, now go to your room and think about it. Think about how awful you are. And to me, that's just like, it's not a very positive way of helping them understand what what's going on. So creating a positive timeout place is a very important tool. Then the other thing is really about offering choices to our children. Young children especially are in a developmental stage where they are developing their will, this notion of being able to make choices. And the only way that we can help them form that muscle is by giving them choices. So it's not about you making the choices every time, but it's about you saying it's time for 
for us to go to the park, which shoes do you want to put on your sandals or your Crocs? Or do you want to put on your blue jacket or your red jacket? So again, you're not telling them what to do. You're not giving them orders of put on your jacket, put on your shoes. You're helping them make choices or even like a choice as simple as we're going to the park. What do we need to put on our feet? So again, you're helping them think for themselves where you're not constantly the reminder and the nagger, which gets really tiring and annoying. And that's why we're so exhausted at the end of the day, because we're telling people what to do all day. So that would be another big one. And then the other one is really using as few words as you possibly can. We tend to go in lecture mode with our children. The less words that we can use, and maybe sometimes just pointing at something or just giving a hand on the shoulder or whatever, it's going to help them also make sense of things for themselves. Absolutely. Okay. So I want to use a quick example from my life the other day. I was tired, so that probably wasn't great. I wasn't going to be in a great headspace. It was fresh in the morning. I came down. My son was trying to make homemade lemonade in the sink. I had thought I heard him tinkering around downstairs. So anyways, I came downstairs. That's the first thing I met with. I didn't get enough sleep. I didn't have the best interaction with him. Anyways, we continued on for probably a half hour. And then he wanted to help make oatmeal, but I just needed everyone out of the kitchen at that moment. I said, I'm going to make the oatmeal. And there was a meltdown like I'd never experienced before with this particular child. And it got so intense that my husband's a teacher, so he's home for the summer. I told my husband, I was like, you have to take over. I can't do this because I'm not going to do it well. Please take over. But it was just like this overstimulation to where I felt like I was going to yell in rage even. And I just needed to step away. But wonder if my husband wasn't there. In that moment where I'm feeling overstimulated, do I leave? Do I tell him to leave? I've heard in the past that you can say, do you need your space? Or do you want me to hug you? Like, what do you need from me? But in those moments, I guess I just don't know how to feel regulated when I'm feeling overstimulated or dysregulated. And that doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen. Beautiful example, because there's two things that happen is first of all, you need to take good care of yourself. So you knew already getting up, you were tired. So right there, it's being intentional about how you're going to go about your day where you know that your energy is lower than usual. So be kind to yourself, right? Don't overdo it. You can even say, mommy's really not feeling very energetic this morning. I'm kind of tired. I'm going to take it slow. And that's it. So you're already letting everybody know. The other thing is that your son is a perfect example. His meltdown was he just wanted significance and belonging. He wanted to be involved. He wanted to do something for the family, for the community, for the tribe by preparing this oatmeal with you. You saying no was a total letdown. Like, I don't have any significance. I don't have any belonging, right? So if you are in an energetic place where you can sit down on the ground and say, oh my gosh, I think we need a redo on this. I could really use a hug right now. I could really use a hug right now. And just the fact of holding your child and breathing with him is going to calm both of you down. So it's not about you need a hug. It's just say, I need a hug. And he might say no. And then you just say, well, I just need a moment to myself. Go splash some cold water on your face. Go do some breathing exercise. As long as your child is safe in the room, you can leave the room. For me, the priority is take care of yourself, right? Because that is modeling to our children how we self 
self-regulate, how we calm our nervous system down. And only then can you be in connection with that child. And only then can you say, I'm sorry, I didn't realize how important this was for you. Yes, please come help me make the oatmeal. But you've taken a step back to appreciate what it is he wants, right? So there was a lot going on that morning. But self-care, self-regulation to me is the priority because that's the only way that we're going to be able to show up for our children. Yes. I'm so glad that you said that because again, I told my husband this whenever we're arguing, I'm like, we just need to hold hands because I've read that when you touch your significant other or when you touch the person that you're in disagreement with, there is something that just falls away. It's like, it's really hard to yell or be rude to someone that you're currently holding hands with or hugging. It just breaks down some of those walls. It takes humility to do that because it's like, I don't want you to touch me at all. But it's like, okay, I'm going to move towards you. And in doing that, I'm going to embrace you. Say my son didn't want that. Giving him that space, taking a second for myself. And if I can't do that, like if in the moment that was too much for me, then again, that means that something is wrong on the back end. Like I'm not doing something right to be that dysregulated every morning or in those moments. I should have gotten more sleep. I need to reevaluate my sleep in general. So, But please don't shit on yourself because I don't know, you had a late night, you were reading a good book, whatever, you know, at some point, you just have to deal with the moment. And if your son refuses that hug or doesn't want to give you the hug, you can say, oh, I really need a hug and just give yourself a hug. That's going to calm you down right there or put your hand on your heart and take some deep breath, right? We have to find whatever it is that's going to help us self-regulate because our children are watching us. They're watching our every move. So if they see that, oh, mom can calm herself, then they're going to learn from us and they're going to learn to be able to do that when they get in a fight with somebody or somebody's mean to them, they learn to kind of self-regulate. And I will say there's one more thing about positive discipline that I love. There's this tool that we use that's called the brain in the palm of the hand. And it's really a example of how our brain works and that we can show to our children how it functions. And that is that when we are dysregulated, when we are angry, when somebody has triggered us, we flip our lid. Basically, we are no longer connected to our prefrontal cortex, which is our reasoning brain, right? I would like to say that the prefrontal cortex is not fully developed until at least 27, some even later is 30. So we cannot expect children to always be reasoning mind, right? It's just not developed. But anyways, when we're dysregulated, we flipped our lid, right? We are no longer connected to our prefrontal cortex. So we're not making any sense to ourselves, to our children and everything. That's why it is so important to calm ourselves first before we try to solve any type of situation. There are elements of self-regulation that I didn't learn as a child. I feel like I didn't have a ton of discipline. My parents were very permissive. They didn't yell. They were lovely. I had an idyllic childhood, but I think now as an adult, there are elements of that self-regulation prefrontal cortex that I still struggle with. Just before I got on here, I had a bad moment with my son. And then my husband called me and, and told me how plans had shifted. And I was really rude to him on the phone. And once I stepped away and I took a breath, I called my husband 
and I was like, I'm really sorry. I just had a really bad moment and I was able to just say like, that was not me. Again, it's learning these things and all that to say, if we are this person that struggles, why would we not want to teach that to our child so that they don't deal with this as a 35 year old woman? We want to instill in our children. Exactly. Yes. And that's the beauty of positive discipline. It's that it is in the middle ground of that super permissive family where everything is okay, not to worry, whatever, to the super authoritarian parent, it's my way or no way, and I make the rules and so forth. We want to be really in that sweet spot where we are firm because it's a situation that needs to be handled, but we are kind. We are firm with loving kindness, right? Because we know that our children are learning. They're brand new. They don't know the rules and regulations of planet Earth yet. They're brand new. So it's up to us to guide them, but it's really that sweet spot of being firm because you're respecting yourself and the situation and kind because you're respecting the individual who is your child. And that's really the what we call authoritative parenting, which is a democratic, we're finding solutions together where we're talking things out, where instead of just telling them what to do and giving them orders and punishing them. This was so wonderful. I'm already thinking about people I'm sending it to. My husband is one of them. (laughs) But where can listeners find more from you online or connect with you and your resources? My website is yourparentingmentor.com. And then I have my podcast, The Art of Parenting. I do a show every Thursday. So that's probably the best, my website and my podcast. Awesome. Well, if you've listened before, you know that I ask every guest two questions at the end of the episode. And the first one is, what's been a beneficial resource to you that you want to share with the listeners? It's a movie that I just saw that I was really taken by. And it's probably because I'm in this birthing world right now, but it's called Born Free, Birth in America. And it's uh, done by a British woman who moved here and got pregnant and was going to have her child and realized that it was very different here. I really found it very well done. So Born Free. You can watch it free on Amazon, but it's a 2022 movie. Very good. Cool. All right. Well, my last question, then I'll let you go is what is something that you can't stop talking about? The beauty of nature. I'm just always blown away by nature. I live by the beach and every time I go, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful for Mother Nature. So every day I say something about that. So yes. We were out this morning. We went to a moth class. We went in a Oh, wow. But we were just walking through the Metro Park on our way out. And I was just like, oh, my goodness. I'm so grateful to have this time in nature. I'm so glad that I get this time. I just feel really fortunate to just be outside as much as I can with my kids. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for joining me. This was great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. What did you think of the episode? I hope you enjoyed the conversation. To learn more about today's guest, including links, resources related to everything discussed today, visit the episode page at minimalistmomspodcast.com, where you can find the entire podcast archive, as well as my book, Minimalist Moms, Living and Parenting with Simplicity, or other ways to connect or work with me online. If you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest and most impactful thing you can do is subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and leave a rating or review of your favorite episode. Lastly, sharing the show or your favorite episode with friends on social media is very helpful and will encourage others on their journey to think more and do with less.